morning, everyone. Great to see you. Thank you so much for uh, your offerings this morning. We appreciate that. This is a very special Sunday on two parts. One is because it is Pentecost Sunday, and we are concluding our series on the God I Never Knew, on the subject of the Holy Spirit. I hope it will be meaningful to you. In the second part, this is a special day because it is the global day of prayer. So Christians all over the world uh, today are praying and trusting God for the expression of his grace among the peoples of the world. And so there is a prayer which has been distributed for the whole world to pray, and it's a great prayer, and we're going to pray it this morning. Uh, And so this is kind of unique because the prayer is one that I will read to us, and then there is a response to it, like a responsive prayer or reading, and where you see the words emboldened on the screen, those are the words that you say. And when you do it, I want you to say it real loud and, and with boldness and trusting that God will hear our prayer. So you'll have to pray with your heads up and your eyes open, okay, to, to follow along. So let's pray. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we gather with believers all over the world to glorify you as creator of heaven and earth. You alone are holy and righteous. We submit to your authority. We praise and adore you alone. Father, we honor you. Lord Jesus Christ, we honor you. Holy Spirit, we honor you. Our Father in heaven, thank you for loving the world so much that you gave your only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be reconciled to you. Fill us with your love as we faithfully intercede for the lost the hopeless, the helpless, and the world. Thank you, Father, for adopting us into your family. Lord Jesus Christ, you died on the cross and redeemed us to the Father by your blood. You are head of the church and Lord of all heaven and earth. Let your kingdom be established in every nation of the world. Bring transformation among peoples of all tribes and languages so that righteousness and justice will prevail. May your name be great, from the rising of the sun to its setting. Jesus Christ, you are Lord of all. Father of mercy and grace, we have sinned. Our world is gripped by the power of sin. Our hearts are grieved by injustice, hatred, and violence. We are shamed by oppression, racism, and bloodshed in our land. We mourn all loss of life in murder, war, and terrorism. Our homes are broken and our churches are divided by rebellion and pride. Our lives are polluted by selfishness, greed, idolatry, and sexual sin. God of mercy, forgive our sins, pour out your grace, and heal our land. Spirit of the living God, transform your church into the image of Jesus Christ. Release your power to bring healing to the sick, freedom to the oppressed, and comfort to those who mourn. Fill us with compassion for the homeless and the hungry, for orphans, widows, and the elderly. Give us wisdom and insight for our world's problems. Help us to use the resources of the earth for the well-being of all. Holy Spirit, guide us and lead us. Lord Jesus Christ, you destroyed sin, conquered death, and defeated Satan. Remove the veil of darkness that covers the peoples. Restrain the evil that promotes violence and death. Deliver us from demonic oppression. Break the hold of slavery, tyranny, and disease. Help us to tear down strongholds and ideologies that resist the knowledge of God. Almighty God, deliver us from evil. 
King of glory, come and finish your work in our cities, our peoples, and our nations. From all continents and islands we cry, lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, ancient doors, so that the King of glory may come in. Come, fill the earth with the knowledge of your glory as the waters cover the sea. And the Spirit and the bride say, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen indeed. Today, as we complete this series on the Holy Spirit, we're going to return to the, to the book of Acts and the day of Pentecost. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to read the first 12 verses there in Acts chapter 2. And we trust that God will speak to us today with this important word. So our custom is to stand to hear God's word. So as you're able, thank you for doing that. And I'll begin at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these all who are speaking Galileans, or in other words, unlearned people? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, What's happening? What's going on? How can we explain this? And indeed, that's our question today. What has happened on the day of Pentecost? May God inspire and instruct us today through his word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Now let me try to set the context here with a story from history. Think about September 26th, 1823. 1823. What we know happened on September 26th that year was two men in a prearranged moment, one from St. Augustine in Florida and the other from Pensacola on the panhandle of what is now the state of Florida, they began walking toward each other. And they completed that walk that day on September 23rd. And they shook hands. And they shook hands in a little Indian village called Tallahassee. Now, what happened? We can say that two men with a prior agreement walked an equal distance or so from Pensacola and from St. Augustine, and they met in this Indian village called Tallahassee. You could say that's what happened. But we know that what really happened was something that was really transcendent to two men walking and shaking hands. What really happened there by prearrangement was the notion that someday, if this area becomes a state and needs a capital, that Tallahassee will be the designated capital of the state of Florida. Because, after all, there's no way the peninsula of Florida south of here will ever be developed. I mean, it's nothing but sawgrass and Everglades and Lake Okeechobee. 
And so there's nothing down there, and it can't be developed anyway. And so anything that's ever going to happen in this area called Florida is going to happen in the panhandle. So we'll place the proposed future capital of the state in this little Indian village called Tallahassee. What happened was an event, as I've described it, which, as I said, transcended this moment when two men simply shook hands. So what happened on the day of Pentecost? It's the Feast of Weeks. It's where thousands of people have now assembled 50 days after the Passover, 50 days after Easter. Now it's 50 days uh, since the resurrection of Jesus. We know that for 40 days, Jesus appeared to people. On day 40, he ascended to heaven. And now 10 days after that, we have the Feast of Weeks or the day of Pentecost. Pentecost simply means 50. It means 50 days from Easter, 50 days from Passover. And so it's Pentecost, and Jesus had told these 120, don't leave, don't go anywhere, don't do anything, don't try anything until you receive the promise of the Father, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So these 120 men and women are waiting in an upper, upper room in Jerusalem for approximately 10 days until 9 o'clock in the morning on the day of Pentecost when what I've just read to us from Acts chapter 2 happens. And so the question is asked, what happened? What happened on the day of, of Pentecost? Let me try to illustrate it this way. Imagine for a minute that Glenn Greiner, our associate pastor, and I have attended a Ball State football game at Schumann Stadium, and it's an evening game, so the lights are on and so forth. And as we're leaving the game, some folks from another culture visiting Ball State's campus approach us and say, uh, we understand there was a, an American football game. In the stadium, yes. We heard the noise. We saw the lights. We felt the commotion. So could you describe to us, we're, we just don't understand American football, could you describe to us what happened? And I say to them, well, there are five men on this field that's 100, 100 yards long and 50 yards wide, and these five men all have striped shirts and their own special pants and a little cap, and they wear a big whistle around, on a lanyard hanging around their neck, and they have uh, little yellow rags, little flags that they stick in their pocket. And they run up and down the field. And when they are overtaken by sheer whim and vagary, <laughs> they blow their whistle and take out that laundry, a little yellow piece of laundry, and they throw it down on the ground. That's American football. <laughs> now, that did happen, didn't it? There's a headlinesman, a back judge, referees, but you can't explain the nature of American football all by the behavior of the referees. It did happen, but that's not what happened. Glenn hears my explanation. He goes, that's not what happened. He said, what happens in American football is you have about 20 beautiful young women all dressed in little short skirts, and they're running up and down the field, tumbling as they go, exciting the crowd. Listen, if you, try, if you try to explain the day of Pentecost by all of the concomitant pyrotechnics, all of these accompanying signs, then you're going to miss the point. There was wind, there was fire, there were languages, but listen, that's not what happened. Imagine with me, if you can, that we're in this service, 10 o'clock service on May the 20th, 2018, Pentecost Sunday, and we were just there. Pastor Greg was preaching, and suddenly 
we heard a violent wind, tornadic kind of wind. If you've ever been close to a funnel cloud or a tornado, like, like a freight train or a hundred freight trains, enormous sound coming out of this violence, this wind. And suddenly you hear that kind of violent, rushing wind in the room. But you notice that it's not moving a hair on your head. It's, it's, not, it's not forcing us in any way. But we can hear it. And it's awesome. And just as this wind is building, we look up in the corner, just up in the, by the roof line there, and we notice this fire beginning to boil and swirl. This, this physical, visible boiling tumult of what looks like actual fire, real fire, and it's, and it's very agitated. And then suddenly, tongues of the flames start coming off of this boiling tumult of fire, and it starts chasing you and coming in some of us, and it's resting right on top of us. Some of you would, some of you would be shaken by this. You would get up and try to run. But it would catch you. You say, no, no, I'm just here from last week's Mother's Day deal. I was, I need to, I'm not from here. This isn't my church. I don't want one. No, you get one. Everybody gets one. <laughs> you can't outrun it. And it rests on us. And then, in the midst of all of this, the, the sound of the wind subsides. And one person, then another person, then five people, then a dozen people, then a hundred people start prophesying and proclaiming the great things of God in a language that you've never learned. You haven't studied it. You don't even, you can identify it, but you are fluent in it and you are speaking. You know what you're saying, but you've never learned the language. It's an amazing phenomenon. Now listen to me. If that happened today, if that actually happened let me just tell you what would, what, what would transpire. In a very short period of time, there would be people gathering. Probably before the service is over, there would be people coming in. Because you would have texted them, someone would have let them know, they would, they would start coming here. By tomorrow morning, Monday morning, you would not be able to get on the parking lot of this, of this campus. There would be thousands of people on our campus from all over the place. And they would come into this room, and it would be, you couldn't get in here. And a week from now, listen, there would be tens of thousands of people converging on our campus from all over the world. It would happen. And sooner or later, someone would walk up to you and ask you this question, were you there? And when you say, yeah. I was there. The next question they will ask you would be, what happened? What happened? What happened? And you, you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful how you answer the question because you need to be sure you know what happened. You may, you may, be, you may say, look, there was this, there was this, tornadic level volume wind, sound of wind that just came in the room. It wasn't blowing us, 
but you could hear it, and it was unbelievable. And someone may hear that, and they say, oh, you were at a political convention. <laughs> no, no, you'd say, but there was, there, we saw fire. It, it started near the ceiling, and then it settled over every person, right on top of me too. And, and someone may hear that, and their, their curiosity might be piqued, but would their consciences be moved by a description like that? Probably not. You say, but we all preached. We all prophesied. We all preached in languages that we've never learned. We were speaking in languages that we didn't know before. And a person hearing this explanation of what happened may say, oh, wait, okay. I've seen that on TV. No, thanks. I don't, I don't care about that. I don't, that's, not, that's not for me. And suddenly you realize you're at some deficit to try to actually explain what happened. There was wind, there was fire, there were languages, but they can't explain Pentecost. They all happened, but they're not what happened. So the question before us this morning is, what happened? What happened on the day of Pentecost? Well, there may be a thousand things that happened, but I can tell you three things for sure that happened. And I just want to share those briefly with you this morning. I want to leave this, I want to tie up this whole series by leaving you with these thoughts. Here's number one. It's on your outline. Number one, the church was birthed. The church of Jesus Christ was birthed into the world. The corporate body of Christ, you understand, had not existed prior to this moment. Individuals had come to faith, a select number of people who had seen Jesus alive, then dead, then buried, and then the third day rose from the dead. Some hundreds of people, 400 or so, over the course of 40 days. And so individuals had seen Jesus alive and had embraced by faith his resurrection. They recognized that he was Messiah. And so they submitted to that truth and they were believers. But there was a limited number of folks like that. And so the question was, what does it mean then that we are now called the body of Christ, not just a bunch of individual believers? And what makes that so? And what we learn from the day of Pentecost is that what makes us the body of Christ, which is a concept that we learn uh, in catechism or confirmation or in a Bible study somewhere, or we heard it along the way, some preacher mentioned it, we are the body of Christ, he, Christ is the head, we are the body we are individual members being built one upon another into this holy temple, all these metaphors for the body of Christ, and we are united. But why? Why are we a body? Why are we us? Why are we unified? Why are we corporate in the, in the, in the church of Jesus Christ, in the body of Christ? We are the body of Christ, listen to me, because we share the same breath. We share the same life source. We have been endued with the presence and person of the Holy Spirit. He has become real to us, and he is the breath that gives us our, our corporate identity, and not just our identity as the people of God, the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, but he is the one who gives us life and vitality. The further the church retreats from what happened to those men and women in the, 
in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, the more the church loses touch with its living reality. See, we can, we can agree and, and stand on doctrines that we agree on. We say it this way, in essentials, the things we believe, the essential things, we want to have unity. In, in non-essentials, we want to have liberty. In all things, we want to be loving. So, so we want to have a solid place. So, for example, we unpacked the Apostles' Creed last fall. And we said there are 12 assertions, doctrinal assertions, basics of the Christian faith contained in the Apostles' Creed. And we say, okay, that's what we believe as Christians. These are the assertions we embrace. It's the cornerstone. We, we stand there together. But ultimately, even the things we believe together aren't the things that unify us. What unifies us is the breath of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the, the life source of who we are as people. See, otherwise, otherwise the church isn't anything more than, than the Rotary Club. I mean, the Rotary Club gets together because they have common values and the folks get together and they talk about common interests and maybe they have a speaker and they, they pay their dues and they do some projects and they're the Rotary Club. And it's a great civic-minded organization. But what differentiates the church from some social organization with a conscience is the person and presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God which unites us. And on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God now is poured out on everyone, all flesh. Everybody gets touched. Everyone gets filled. Everyone is empowered by the presence of the Holy Spirit. So we pray. We pray for God, God's presence in our lives. We, we expect God's, God's life source to permeate in our lives and through our corporate life together. So we have in the New Testament, for example, these, these moments when the apostles would actually pray for other people to receive the Holy Spirit. So the, the conference of this breath, this life source is given to other people as they are included in the body of Christ. So the laying on of hands is explained many times. So it's the hands within the hands. So we, we have hands, physical hands, but Jesus' hands are actually the hands within the hands. And so we place our hands on people, for example, when they're being ordained into full-time vocational ministry or when they're being commissioned and sent out to do special things for God's sake or when we pray for healing grace or sustaining grace in other people's lives, we, we'll actually touch people and pray for them. It's, a, it's just a means of conveyance of this life source of the presence of the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you that in three weeks on June the 10th, we're going to have a special commissioning service here and we have... We have Kazakhs who grew up in Kazakhstan, where we've had interest now for 20 years, who have been in this part of the United States and living in Muncie in part. And on the 10th of June, we are going to put our hands on them and commission them as a team to go back to Kazakhstan and plant house, house churches among the, the people there. This is, this is life and mission at Union Chapel coming full circle into a, into a providential moment of God's amazing grace. And it's going to be a, a very, very special experience. So uh, I invite you to be here and bring interested people with you. If you're not here on June the 10th, um, I don't know what to think about you. Anyway, <laughs> this is, but this is an example of it. 
we know, we know that God is in us and corporately God is with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And that's what unifies. That's what defines us. This is what gives us meaning. This is what gives us life. This is what gives us the energy we need to move forward. We, we started uh, 38 years ago out in a little red brick country church, 12 miles north of here. And that's where we started. And God showed up in the building. And the reason God showed up there is because we showed up there. God doesn't live in buildings. God doesn't live in places that are built with human hands. God lives in people. God lives in us. So we went from that little red brick church, and then we went to Delta High School, and we met there for four and a half years. And God was there in the high school. We had the high school principal one time as a guest speaker. I invited him because I just thought it'd be cool to have him there. And he walked, walked up to the platform, and in about 30 seconds, he was overcome with emotion, and he broke down and began to weep in front of all of us. He couldn't even talk. Finally, he composed himself, and he said, the reason I'm so emotional is I'm, I'm realizing that God is in my school. So the same room, the same place that he went in and out of many times every day, all day, week in, week out, month in, month out, he doesn't sense God's presence, but as soon as we have a worship service there and he stands up, he begins to get emotional about it because God is present. Because he came in with us. Then we, bought, then we bought a car lot and renovated it. The 845 service, our, called our sanctuary, is what was originally the showroom of the car dealership. A room in which many, many lies had been told over <laughs> the course of many years. People being deceived and swindled out of their money. But today was a holy place. Why? Because we came in. We came in. I had a good friend, a uh, black friend, and we were pastoring in southern Indiana, and we had 50 United Methodist pastors in a district meeting, and the district superintendent stood up. He said, now, before we start our, our business, he said, who would like to give the invocation, you know, just to, to offer prayer, invoke God's presence? My black friend stood up, and I thought, well, he's, he's ambitious. Good for him. He stood up, and he said, uh, that's not necessary, Mr. Superintendent. He said, Jesus is already here. He came in with me. <laughs> That's good theology. You have to invoke God's presence. See, wherever you are, that's where Jesus is. Wherever you are, that's where the church is. Now think about that. So we, we pray for God to come in every circumstance of our lives. So let me put this statement on the screen just to make it clear. The present tense experience of the Holy Spirit is the divine, defining reality for the church. See, it's the breath of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit in us that makes us who we are. So not only is the church birthed, but second of all, you want to write this down, the church was birthed in power. Church was birthed in power. Now think about just the day of Pentecost. We have wind, we have fire, we have languages, we have prophetic preaching from the, from, from the Apostle Peter. And we have 3,000 people who are converted. Thousands of people on the street. Peter stands up and preaches. And they are so convicted by the preaching of Peter on the day of Pentecost that they tear their clothes. They fall on their face. They're cut to the heart. They, they, they begin to shout almost in unison, what must we do to be saved? The power of God. I, and 3,000 people said yes to Jesus. I'd call that power. Would you call that power? 
That's power. So when the Holy Spirit comes on the church, power is the result. I've told you my story of my conversion at the age of 16. There were eight or ten of us who came to faith the same day, the same evening. And for a couple of years after that, um, we were kind of on our own. You know, our, my parents weren't Christians at the time, and, and we just didn't get the help in our local church that we needed. And so for two years, we were kind of on our own. Now, here's good news and bad news about that. The bad news was there was no one there to disciple us and coach us and mentor us the way we needed it. The good news is there wasn't anybody there who had some preconceived notion about what God was doing and what he's not doing in the world anymore. Maybe old Christians who had lived live for Jesus for a while and had long since given up on anything powerful happening in or through their lives or churches. And so the good news was, as teenagers on our own, we just started reading the Bible together. And the funniest thing happened to us. We would read the book of Acts and just assume, hey, this is what God does. And so we began to see signs and wonders and miracles in our youth group. And after about two years of seeking God and realizing that there's, there's more that can be experienced in the person and work of the Holy Spirit, this baptism in the Holy Spirit, which I described two weeks ago, that you can be dipped and drenched and soaked and immersed in God's presence, and it releases His, His grace, His love, His fruit, His gifts, His power in our lives. And it's a wonderful thing. Jesus said, it's better that I go away to his disciples. Better that I leave you because then God can send the Holy Spirit, the helper, who's going to help you in all these ways. How many of you need help? Need more help? Anyone need more help? I need more help. I need all the help I can get. And if God says, hey, I'll help you. Okay, we'll throw in. That's perfect. <laughs> so as a youth group, we went, we began to see signs and wonders and miracles. And I could spend the rest of the day, not the rest of this hour, but the rest of this day telling you stories of miracles that Beth and I, when we were teenagers, were experiencing in the power of God. It was an amazing thing. Our youth group grew from eight kids to 80 kids. Went from eight to 80. We didn't have 80 people in our whole church. This was, this was Boswell, Indiana. If you've ever been to Boswell, you know, it's like Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's it's. A pathetic little pitiful little little spot. <laughs> and so miracles were happening. You know, I tell this story to our current 180 team, and I said, you know, the equivalent to what happened to our group in Boswell those years ago would be that if 180 went from what it is right now, a couple hundred kids, to 1,500 kids with signs and wonders and miracles. If God has birthed the church in power, then these are the kinds of dreams we should dream. These are the kinds of expectations we should have. This is how we should live our lives. So, for example, if, if, if you're a business person in the room, many of you are associated with business in some capacity, you want God's presence and power in your business. It's how you make wise decisions. It's how you keep a creative edge. It's how you influence your staff and your clients and your community for Christ. Whether you're in the boardroom or the courtroom or the administrative office or the classroom or the locker room or the living room, you want the power of God present in those places. It means you are on the ready. You are in season and out of season. You are on call. You are available for God, the Holy Spirit, to use you in any kind of moment. 
If you're working next to someone and your coworker says, you know, I don't feel well. I'm, I'm getting sick. I don't know if I can even stay here any longer. This is when you say, may I pray for you? And if they give you permission, then you put your hand on their shoulder and you pray that God's healing grace will come on them. You don't have to have a white suit and be on TV to have a healing ministry. God has gifted everyone. Everybody has gifts. Everybody has ability. God's hand is on everyone. All flesh has received the power of the Holy Spirit. So you can go forth in the context of your life and influence and make a difference in the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's my uh, statement for this point. Look on the screen. The Holy Spirit in the church is not about making everyone preachers and missionaries. It's about making us all powerful. Yeah, that means you and me. Here's the last thing that I think happened on the day of Pentecost that I'll share with you this morning. Number one, or number three, the perfect work of God inside imperfect people. The perfect work of God inside imperfect people. Do you have any problems with that statement? You believe God is perfect and his work is perfect? Yes, we believe that. How about you? Are you imperfect? Can you acknowledge imperfection? Yeah, we all, we're all in, right? Perfect work of God through imperfect people. Let me tell you how virtually all of us live, not according to what I just said. Most of, us, most of us live with this thing completely flipped upside down, wrong side up. Most of us go through the world with this psychology. We say to ourselves, the work of God is imperfect. Because it just doesn't come across as perfect. It's imperfect. And God only uses special, nearly perfect people to accomplish it. And because I'm not perfect, and we're all in touch with that, because I'm not perfect, God would never use me. Wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. That's deception. That is deceit. That is a lie. That is wrong. There are no perfect folks. No, God, God will only use the special ones. No. No, no, no. God wants to do his perfect work through imperfect people. This has always been his move. Let me tell you something. Those 120 men in the, the upper room that day, these are all folks with problems, with issues, with stories, with pain, with wounds, with confusion, with fears. These are, these are just average folks trying to figure it out. Did you know that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was one of the 120 in the upper room? Tongues of fire lit, rested on her. Let me ask you, was that girl confused? Had she been through some stuff in the last month or so in her life? Are you kidding me? We don't even know how she got her sandals on in the morning after all of that. But there she is. And the presence and power of the Holy Spirit rests on her and prepares her for her future and her destiny. And God's Spirit wants to rest on you. God doesn't use perfect vessels. He doesn't use perfect people. He doesn't use people without flaws. This is, this is what God prefers, to take the weak and the lowly and those who are vulnerable and to use people like that to confound the wise and the powerful. This is what God does. This is why all of us are great candidates to be used of God in the power of the Holy Spirit, the perfect work of God through imperfect people. 
I hope you're feeling what I'm trying to do with this whole series. This whole series isn't about some theology of the Holy Spirit and understanding better. He's a person. He has mind, will, and emotions. He's our helper. He's our friend. He's not weird. He's our God. He's personal. He has personality. You can have a personal relationship with him. All of that is true, and I'm glad to lay that foundation. But what's ultimately important is that we realize that God the Holy Spirit wants to empower and impact our lives to free us to change the world to change your world, to change your family culture, to change your business culture, to change your school culture, to change the world for Jesus' sake. Not by our, not by, by our power, our ability, or, you know, our model, or, you know, look how good I am. It's in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is really good preaching. It's so good. It's really good. I'm encouraging myself. I feel like I want to go help somebody. I'm going to to do better myself. By the way, you should know, I preach to myself every week. Just just so you get the right perspective, I preach to myself every week. And all I do is let you eavesdrop on my self-talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not lying. It's the truth. I write these sermons for myself. What do I need? I need to be reminded that the power of God is available for my life to do something great. So stop dreaming small dreams and seeing small visions. Expect great things. Attempt great things. Because God the Holy Spirit is with us. (laughs) See how how I encourage myself like that? I'm just talking to myself. (sighs) (laughs) Let me put this statement on the screen. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is about allowing God to have full access to our lives. That's it. That's what God is doing. And God wants to use you. God has plans for you. God has a purpose for your life. God has destiny for you. You have not been discarded. God is not finished with you. God God has plans, and he wants to use you. And the best way to find that purpose and to live in the fruition of that sense of call is in the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's pause for a moment and let's pray and ask God for his grace. Lord, we thank you this morning for your goodness, your favor, your help. You're such a comfort to us. Thank you. Now, Lord, I pray for us this morning as we contemplate how we go through the world and how dependent we need be on your Holy Spirit. Now, if you're in the room today and maybe you're encouraged, maybe you're inspired, maybe you're thinking bigger thoughts, dreaming bigger dreams, you need the Holy Spirit. So just pray, just just whisper it in your breath. Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Just pray that prayer. God will hear you. Lord Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I need your comfort. I need your guidance. I need your help. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, help us to rise up from this place and go in the breath, the life source, the strength and power of your spirit within us. In Jesus' name. And everyone said.